Hello and welcome to Bible Marathon. We're all about learning how to read the Bible, about spiritual gifts and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as Christians. The goal is to progress with joy in the faith and without further ado, let's get into the word. Welcome everyone and happy Easter. Um, all right, so without wasting time, let's just let's pray so we can get started can you hear me yes we can all right um so father we thank you thank you for um thank you for today thank you for this amazing privilege that we have to gather as one body in christ to share your word to learn your hearts lord we Pray that as we as we go through today's discussion, that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened in the name of Jesus, that we are filled with wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your will. I pray for utterance for the speakers. I pray that they will speak your heart, and I pray for understanding for the listeners in the name of Jesus. This is going to be an amazing time in your presence. Thank you, oh God, because you've answered our prayers. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. So, welcome everyone to um, Bible Marathon right now. We are going straight to the business of today. And I just want you guys to be ready with your hearts. Um, it's going to be an amazing session. Um, we have a task at hand and the task is basically to in a sense give you tools equipment um the right information to be able to defend the accuracy the authenticity and the veracity of your faith you know what we do here in bible marathon is we equip ourselves to do what god has called us to do in this regard you know, First Peter 3.15 says that we should magnify the Lord Jesus in our hearts. And then he says, be ready always. That means at every time, in every season, regardless of how you feel. But you need to be ready at all times to give a defense for the hope that you have. If you are a Christian, you have a hope. In fact, that's the core aspect of your faith. Your faith is based on hope. In fact, um, Paul was talking about three major things in our Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. Even though the greatest of these is love, for, for clear reasons. We've talked about that in the month of February. But faith and hope are very core to our faith, to, to the Christian faith. All right. So what we're going to do today is to equip ourselves to be able to do that, to give a defense for the hope that we have with meekness and with gentleness all right and i'm not going to do this alone i'm just going to be the guy who kind of facilitates the conversation in the right direction i have an amazing panel and without further ado i'm going to invite each of them up the stage um so you guys wherever you are just begin to shout and scream and clap as we invite ife chelsea and Chris to the stage all right, so I'm adding you guys to this stage. I like Zoom. Zoom gives me like the ability to drag you guys up here and 
push some people off the stage <laughs> a little. Where's Praise? Is Praise here? Tell me Praise is here. Someone should help me add her into the... He's about to enter. I think she's having serious network issues. God, please. Not today. All right, but I think you guys can see our panelists. I'm going to take this off the screen um, so that we can see faces. I think that would be a lot more helpful. But before we get started, I just want to say hi to everyone here. If this is your first time, welcome to Bible Marathon. You're in the right place at the right time. You're going to have a blast. You're going to have a blast. All right, so let's see what we have right now. Um, is, is she here now? Praise? All right, there you are. The devil is a liar. All right, there we are. Good, good, good. Lovely panel. <laughs> I must say, everyone looks beautiful, don't you think? Like, see, even the boy too, right there. Even though you're not, you're, the light is behind you. We can't see your face. But you're looking good. Chelsea, good to see you. Praise, good to see you. So for the next um, hour or so, we're going to be delving into this topic. The real question we have is, is Christianity true? And some people actually wonder, like, is this really a question? I mean, why are we even discussing this? The average person here probably grew up in a Christian home. You've lived in a Christian home all your life. There are a few people here who didn't and then came to faith later um, through a conversation with a friend or you got to college and you kind of got to hear the gospel for other people. It's like, I mean, I've been hearing about Jesus since I was a toddler and it just made sense to progress in that light. But as we grow in our days, like as we, as we observe the world around us, it's very hostile to this thing we call Christianity. And, um, now those of us who have grown up in Christian families and Christian homes have to be equipped to defend what we say we believe. Like, okay, if this is true, we're not just going to say we believe it and it's blind faith. We want to put some substance to it. And I think the first thing we want to establish is why should we have a conversation like this? So in just a short sentence or two from everyone on the panel, like why do you think, in addition to things I've said, that this conversation we're about to have is, is relevant? Um, I like Chelsea to go first, if that's okay. Yes, that's that's fine. Um, well, this conversation and talk that we're having is re relevant because you know, as you mentioned, especially in these times, um, that you know people don't really know what truth is. People are trying to def define themselves. They're searching for an identity. I think it's so important as young people to be able to understand your Christianity so that you can better show others who you are in um, Christ. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So it's, it's, it's so that we are able to give answers when we're asked those questions. And I think yes. even for ourselves, we need to know the answer to those questions many times because mm -hmm. our, 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 our mind does play tricks on us sometimes. Um, Ife, do you want to add something to that? Why, why discuss this? Yeah, I don't mind. Um, <clears throat> I can say that, you know, personally in my own life, people who have come across, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, they always seem to have some kind of opinion about who Jesus is, you know, or who he is to them. Um, if you look at other faiths like Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, even New Age faith that is really becoming a big thing now in our generation, 
you, you, you tend to see that Jesus is still in those other worldviews as well. So the question may not come up like, why is the Christian or the biblical view of Jesus not even necessarily the only unique one, but why is it the truthful one if you find that Jesus is in all the other worldviews? So that's why this question is important, I feel. Nice. Because Jesus, he happens to show up in like literally every religion you can think of. He's, mm-hmm. In one, he's a prophet. Another one, he's a teacher. Another one, he's just a great guy. You know, and then Christianity says, hey, this guy is God. So it's like, hey, hold up. So it's, you know, there are varied ideas of who Jesus is and what Christianity is. So that's a really good point, Ifair. Um, Praise, do you want to add to that? I think specifically, just like maybe tell us what Christianity is. Like define Christianity to us. You're muted. Yeah, right. sorry. Okay, good. So Christianity is a, Christianity is a faith or say religion that is based on um, the teaching and the person of Jesus Christ and all that is true for his practices. And so, yeah, that's, that's basically what Christianity is about, about Jesus Christ, centers on Jesus Christ, what he came to do and all that he came to do. Yeah. Okay, so it's a religion that has practices. So what distinguishes, what would you say distinguishes Christianity from other faiths that have exactly those same points so for example another faith might also say hey you know still about jesus jesus is a cool guy you know but we believe that jesus is a concept that we all need to attain and the universe is you know (laughs) sorry i'm going extreme here but like um can you help us really define christianity um Maybe from a biblical standpoint, where did Christianity begin? What is it? Do you know if is it, does anyone want to add to that? Um, to expand on praise's okay. definition, maybe. Okay. Yeah, go Sorry, ahead. Could... Okay. Oh. Myself, should I actually go ahead? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So Christianity, as I said, is based on Jesus, right? But the foundation, the fundamental thing about this, the foundation of our faith on Jesus. You're muted again. Okay. You're back, you're back, you're back now. Okay. So the foundation of you know, Christianity hints on the fact that Jesus is, you know, God who came to come and die for the sins of the whole world. And he didn't just die, he was buried and he resurrected. And as a result of that, everybody that believes in him automatically, you know, um, receives the promise, the life that he has, you know, he died for. So that that already that 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 distinguishes Christianity, you know, from every other religion in the sense that God, who is, you know, the creator of heaven and earth, actually came and became flesh in the form person of Jesus and died for the sins of the whole world and was buried and he resurrected. All right, awesome. So now what you did there was expand a little bit on that so I, I i appreciate that so the first one was correct the first definition was correct but i think it goes deeper when you, you talk about the person of jesus what he did and the resultant effect of that because most people just think it's just a religion and it's just one way to god right so thanks for elaborating on that um, i'm sure maybe if i wanted to add something to that um or Chelsea. yeah um <clears throat> 
as Fraser was responding, I actually remember a statement that um, the late Miles Monroe mentioned a few years ago. I was listening to a sermon of his on YouTube, and he made a very interesting point, which I've never really thought of, and I've not really researched on it, but I would assume that it's true, otherwise it wouldn't make the point. And he said that what makes Christianity so unique from other religions, Christianity is the only worldview where the founder of the faith, that's just Christ, died for the followers of the faith. Hmm. So, and I thought I thought that was very interesting because if you look at you know Islam, I don't recall Muhammad actually dying for the followers of Islam or you know yeah. other religions as well. So, the fact that the founder of the faith, the one who the faith is dependent on, is the one that ends up dying so that the followers of the faith can live, is actually also very unique. Lovely, awesome, Chelsea. You want to add to that too? Um, yes, actually, this. Scripture came to my um second Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna try pulling that up for you. Second Corinthians one. One chapter one verse twenty-two. Okay. And it and I'll just go ahead and read it. And it says, Set a seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And so for me, that you know, I just think of okay, the this promise of the Holy Spirit, you know, knowing that he's already in us now and seeing that, okay, we have something to look forward to. And and you don't really necessarily see that in other religions as well. So that's just one thing that came to mind. Thank you. I mean, I love that. So I think everything wraps up with there's something that happened in history that started this thing called Christianity. Christianity has not been forever. There was a day it started. And there's something that's supposed to culminate this idea of Christianity. And that's what Chelsea just gave a picture of. There's a hope the Christian is looking forward to. Um, And we have a proof or a down payment or some kind of guarantee that we will experience that future hope that we're looking forward to. So... Thank you, guys. I think that helps with definitions. Um, feel free in the chat right now to interact and actually just you know throw in things that you feel we've left out because this is a conversation, right? So I want everybody to feel relaxed. We're going to just talk about these things as real as it gets because trust me, I'm going to ask some questions that many of us are asking, all right, and or have asked or have been asked, and it's okay. You know, Christianity is not saying, hey, don't ask hard questions it's actually saying come bring your questions because jesus is the answer right i stole that from a movie by the way okay um moving forward um so now that we've talked about christianity the title says is christianity true and that already brings another angle to this conversation because we're making a we're asking a question that will have either a yes or a no response. So I think we should, at this point, talk about the concept of truth. All right? Because we're, like Chelsea said at the very beginning, we're in an age where everyone is defining their own truth. You know, this is my truth. This is your truth. I am a, I identify as a banana, and that is true for me. You know, someone else says I identify as this, or this is, you know, who I am or this is what I believe to be true. And we just have to, somehow we are forced to accept that. 
But is there any such thing as objective truth? That's really where we're going at now. So it's more of a philosophical question, and I would like everyone to touch on it. But Chelsea, you know, help us with this concept of truth, you know, a little bit. Yes, yes. So as I said, it's important to define what truth is, right, before um, asking if Christianity is true. And so to start off with that, um, you know, the law of non-contradiction, we should understand what that is. And so what that is, is that it's understanding that, okay, opposite ideas cannot be true and false at the same time, right? So for, for example, you can't say, okay, the earth is round and flat at the same time, right? You can't say, okay, an animal is a cat, right? And okay, this animal is not a cat, right? So it's important to understand that, as I said, something can't be true and false at the same time. It's, it's either true or it's either false. And so we're able to understand that with the law of non-contradiction. Okay, let me build on that a little bit. Oh, yes, so that's yes. a good point. So this point she's making is really crucial. The, the law of non-contradiction. I mean, it's, it's a principle that we've lived in or lived with all our lives without the title. So she gave an example. If something is made of glass it cannot be made of silver, for example, right? If something is A, it cannot be B at the same time, if and only if A and B are opposite. So that's kind of like the idea behind the law of non-contradiction. So um, if I think that's fundamentally what we need to all agree on because some people will say no. A and B can be opposite and be true at the same time. And to to be to be to go a little further, we'll come back to this later on because these are some of the claims in Christianity. There are some aspects of the Christian faith that will break the law of non-contradiction. For example, we say Jesus is both God and man. That is called the hypostasis union. It is a big mystery. Or we say something like God is one and God is three. We are also doing the same thing there. But you see, there's a unique distinction there. Instead of it breaking necessarily the law of non-contradiction, what it's doing is showing that God is beyond that law of non-contradiction. Um, but there, there are also ways to go into that. But I don't want us to deviate from the topic. What we're saying is that if, for example, we say Jesus is the only way to God, that is a truth statement. It's a truth claim. We are making a claim to exclusivity by saying the word only. I found out recently, and this is just on the side, but just to let you know the, that this topic of exclusivity is really huge. I found out from watching a small a video of like a, a, an Islamic gathering and the average Muslim I speak to, they say, oh, no, no, like, you know, we don't claim exclusivity like that. You know, but in their meeting during their own one of their services, they made it clear that Islam is the only true religion. So I'm like, okay, Christianity is claiming here that this is the only true way to God. Islam is also claiming we are the only true way to God. One of us must be right or we are both wrong. That's how the law of non-contradiction works. So I just wanted to expand on that. A little bit. So let me ask you a question now, and it's still to you, Chelsea. I mean, it's still on this topic. If I say, um, 
there is no such thing as truth. I make that claim. There is no such thing as truth. Why do you why would there be a problem with that statement? Well, I mean <laughs> the the statement itself is n- not true, right? Because there's no such thing as truth. So is it true that there's no such thing as truth? So you're in a sense um you're flipping the question and it's you have to question if that um, statement that you made was um, true, right? So, mm. yeah. Nice. So basically, if I say there's no such thing as truth, I'm mm-hmm. expecting you to believe that my statement is true. <laughs> yes. So then you've already like not made your statement null and void. So that's still, that applies to the same law of non-contradiction. And I think this is important because let's have this foundation of truth first, that there is such thing as truth. There is the idea that something can be exclusively true because everything we're going to talk about going forward will be based on this foundation. So thank you, Chelsea, for that um, help helping us with that. So we're moving on now because we want to talk about the claims of Christianity. And I think the first place to start from is not Christianity itself. I think it's the question of the existence of deity. So is there really a God? Like that's where we have to start from before we zone down and say, what is the true way to this God? So if, if you take us into a journey of just defining for us or helping us see if there is a God, can we answer that question truly? And do we have any evidence to prove there is actually a God? Yeah, I mean, this is really the topic where you see like many atheists and Christians or or people of other beliefs, when they're asking, is there actually a creator? There's actually God out there. And there's so many, people give numerous pieces of evidence, but if you want to try and simplify it, because there's actually lots of evidence out there, you know, that there is a divine creator out there, you can just basically break them down into like three categories or three arguments. So the first argument is the cosmological argument. The second one is a teleological argument. And the third one is the moral argument. And don't worry, I know they sound like big words, but I'm going to go through them Please, one by one. <laughs> yes. Uh, is, yeah, I'll explain what they mean. So when you look at the first argument, which is the cosmological argument, the word cosmos simply means the universe. And by universe, that's everything we see, the sky, the earth, the heavens, outer space, everything. <clears throat> so um, I'm sure some of us are familiar with the idea of like the Big Bang Theory. Um, it's something that they love, whether atheists or not, they point to that as like how the universe started. So I was surprised to learn that there was actually a time not too long ago that all scientists believed that the universe had always existed. There was actually a period like that where nobody believed that there was a beginning per se. Um, the first, actually the first idea where, you know, the universe had a beginning was actually from the Bible. It's actually the very first statement in the Bible where it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven. It's literally the very first sentence of the Bible. The claim is already made. There was a beginning. God made the heavens and the earth. Some translations like actually in the beginning, God created the universe. So the Bible was letting us know right from the start that this universe that we claim is eternal or we think is eternal is actually not eternal. It's always had, it had an origin point. You know, and as modern science has advanced, you know, more scientists have actually found that, you know what, the Bible is actually, was actually telling the truth. 
I think even Stephen Hawking made a statement while he was alive that based on the evidence that's coming out now, this universe hasn't always been there. It came from somewhere. It had an origin point. Mm -hmm. And even within that, there are two options that you have to consider. So if the universe did have a beginning, you have to consider two alternatives. Either its beginning was created by no one, basically saying that nobody created something out of nothing. In other words, nobody created the universe out of nothing. The universe just appeared by itself miraculously. Or somebody, somebody had to create this universe out of nothing. Now, um, let's not even try not to even think of it from the Christian perspective, from an objective reasoning perspective, which option is more feasible? Which one seems more logical? So if I let me pause you there with that question and while everyone is thinking, I just want to bring yeah. everybody back, you know, like what you said so far and just like help us catch on with that. So if it has just started really well with helping us see that there are three major arguments and he's talking now on the cosmological arguments, which means the world that we see and observe and that there are things that are there to point to a creator. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think this is something I, I'm, the reason I'm, I'm interjecting here is because I don't want you to get lost in the fact that if is giving you all these things and, you know, it's making sense, you feel very, very fulfilled now. Yo, I was in the, I believe the right thing after all. No, I don't want you to feel that way. I want you to actually learn the things that are being said. If you need to take notes, if you need to question them, please do. Because you are taking tools back. So that's why I just wanted to interject there. So back to your question. It's either there is a creator yeah, or there isn't. There isn't. Go ahead, please. So, I mean, we can all agree that the more reasonable one, the one that makes more sense is that some creator had to create this universe out of nothing. You know, nothing cannot create nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense logically. So somebody had to create this universe out of nothing. And if that somebody did create this universe, that person has to be eternal because something that's something that has a beginning cannot create something that has a beginning, if that makes sense. Hmm. It must, that person must have existed before the universe had that beginning because he's the one that created the universe in the first place. So that person has to be eternal. That person has to be timeless, immaterial. That person has to be very, very powerful because... I mean, we can all agree to create the universe that we live in now. It takes a lot of power, a lot of authority, you know. And also, that person has to be, and this is the controversial part, that person has to be a very, very personal being. He has to have a personality. And that leads me to the second argument, which is the teleological argument. Okay. Um, I, sorry, I want to pause because I said this would be able to be interactive. I see a hand up, um, and I know um, Zion, I know him to be a physicist. So if you would like to talk, please make sure it's terse, make sure it's really short so we can cover more. Um, what Good evening, everyone. Hi. Yes, I don't intend to take time. In fact, I just really wanted to listen, but um, as, um, what's his name? Ife yes. brought up the um, cosmological argument. He just really got me, got me um, I just picked a lot of interest in that. So just to add something, um, part of the argument, especially from the, um, theoretical physics community, um, we have this argument of, um, yeah, there had to be a beginning, so a big bang of code, and um, there are 
there's, there's a certain belief, although in physics we don't really accept it as 100%, even though some persons believe it, but because it's not proven, it's not accepted, right? So people, there, there's this school of thought around the fact that um, the beginning may not have been caused by a creator, right? So it's like, um, that's, this, this school of thought is, was majorly championed by Stephen Hawking before he died. You know, a school of thought that it might not have been a creator for the Big Bang to have occurred. So how would then will it have occurred? And the argument is just this. I'll, I'll just really um, summarize it very fast. The argument is the total energy of the universe is zero, right? That's because, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of dark matter and dark energy. Mm-hmm. So all the observable matter in the universe and um and the measurable energy. There's these other components that is unobservable, but we know it's there. So we know of dark matter, we know it's there. We can't really see it, we can't quantify it, but its effects are visible, right? Um, in terms of um, in terms of uh, physical laws and frameworks, we see the effects. And when we check the numbers, we realize that the dark matter, dark energy balances out um, positive matter, um, um, visible matter, so that when you, it's like the opposite of, of visible matter. So you have dark matter, antimatter, and things like that, right? So um, for that reason, the total energy of the universe is zero, because when you add the positive energy to the negative energy, since they are equivalent, only that they are in opposite directions, when you add them together, they become zero. So the argument of this school of thought is that before the Big Bang, the total energy was zero, and after the Big Bang, the total energy is still zero. So what that means is that, you know, there, there's there's no need for a creator because at the end of the day, you know, everything was still the way it was. Only difference being that zero now kind of, um, kind of, um, how do you put it now? Um, broke up now into a component of positive energy and uh, negative energy. So, you know, how that theory still makes a lot of sense to physicists amazes me or it's something that is interesting to just point out i, I get surprised how people can believe this right even the, the interesting thing however with the physics community is that yeah even though some persons claim that they don't say it authoritatively because they know they don't have evidence for that right but then there's a there's a measure of confidence they have about it that's really really amazes me i just thought that i had to point that yeah. out Thank you. So we have some resources that we're going to share um, to the group. So if you're on the WhatsApp group, um, we'll put together some resources. So you see that there's actually, you know, different schools of thought on this subject. And at the end of the day, it still takes, just like Cynthia said in the chat, like when you listen to the physics arguments, many of the things you said too right now are basically to be taken by faith because who was there at the beginning to observe scientifically the big bang or the you know all of that but that's let's not spend too much time on that because there's so much to be said that we need to get into so the first yeah. argument you said uh, um, if is cosmo- the cosmological argument right that mm-hmm. that for for anything physical and time-based and you know existing in an environment to exist something like that like for anything to have space time and matter um, right there has to be something that is spaceless, timeless, and matterless. 
And the only way to define something that is spaceless, without boundaries, timeless, who is eternal, and matterless, meaning he doesn't need, it's not limited by anything, is God, right? That's the definition of God. Yeah. All right. So cool. Go ahead. Give us the teleological and break that down. What's teleological? So I'm actually glad, um, was it Zion that asked, that brought up that point about dark matter and dark energy and how scientists believe that the total energy was zero? Because that's an interesting point. If they believed that, oh, they didn't need God, that everything was just at a zero value of energy. If we go into the teleological argument, and, it, and really the word teleological comes from the word telos. Telos is Greek for design or purpose or intention. Hmm. So we have to now consider it's like, okay, let's, let's just say like, okay, the total energy was zero what made it fixed at zero from the beginning? You have to think about that as well. Like, why would it just be fixed at zero from the beginning? Why couldn't it have just been fixed at any value from the beginning and not zero, if that makes sense? So I feel like this transitions very well into the theological arguments. And again, <clears throat> excuse me, like I said, the word telos means design and purpose. So now we're coming into somewhat of intentional design, if that makes sense. So let's, um, let's consider this, obviously, that every day when we wake up, we know that the sun is shining in the morning. We've never had any doubts that the sun is going to rise in the morning, which signals the start of a new day. Um, you guys can see my window at the back. You can see the sunlight that's shining through my window. None of us have ever thought like, ah, when we wake up tomorrow, is the sun going to be shining? You know, is the sun going to rise? We don't, we don't have those thoughts because we just know there's a design that, at a certain time, maybe 6, 7 a.m., you know the sun is going to be in the sky. The same we also know that at a time, maybe 6 p.m., 7 p.m., the sun is going to go down. It's a daily fixed routine that governs the sun and every other thing in the universe. <clears throat> That's the teleological arguments in a nutshell. <clears throat> God fixed everything for an intended purpose. All the stars, all the planets, everything about the universe is designed perfectly. The seasons of, of the year, spring, summer, um, fall, and winter, they're fixed during certain time periods of the year. That's by design. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the gravitational force, I think the number is like 10 to the power of 40. That is a fixed number that has been constant for as long as life has existed. If you alter that number, if you just take out one zero from that number, we as human beings cannot exist currently as we do now. So that shows you that it's not just a random coincidence as maybe atheism or evolution will have you think it is. It's by design. You know, everything that's created, like if this laptop I'm speaking to you now, there's a designer behind this laptop and it has a specific function. So that's basically the teleological argument in a nutshell. And there's even a scripture that backs this up. I think it's Jeremiah 33, 25. I don't know if you can pull it up, Ernest. Okay. You said Jeremiah 23. 33. 3325. Okay. Yeah, I, I have this one up here though. This is the one that came to mind when we were talking. Um, okay. And you know what's interesting? It says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So this mm. is actually design. Yeah. yeah. Like this is what will continue to happen. And then in Jeremiah 3325, you said, it says, this is what the Lord yeah. says. If I have not established my covenant with day, with and, day night, and night and, and the fixed, fixed laws, laws yeah. of heaven and earth, and that's earth. beautiful. 
So by extension, what we call ele- electricity today and gravity and those things we observe were actually laws that got placed at creation and mm-hmm. they will always work. The reason yeah. we can have a Zoom call is because of all the laws of physics that God put into play. We are not floating in the air thanks to the law of gravity. We're able to communicate thanks to electromagnetic waves that have always been here for the purpose that they are. And so if someone were to come and say everything is meaningless, all, all of the things we see around us is meaningless, that would be very hard to prove because there's so much meaning around us. There's yeah, so much, so much detail. Yeah, there is. I mean, I'll give one I'll give one final example. If you look at the solar system and look at the earth which we currently live on. Yeah. You know, have you guys ever wondered how far away the earth is from the sun that you can still feel the sun's heat shining on us every day but it doesn't burn us up. Hmm. I don't know if anybody has ever I kid you know when I was a kid I always used to wonder like how is the sun so hot that I can feel it but like I don't burn up because the sun is I mean if you go out into space the sun is big and it's very very hot like really, really um, has a very high temperature. The distance from the earth is set at just that right distance. If you move the the earth a little bit closer, even just by like a few millimeters, every human being on earth will burn up. Hmm. Likewise, if you move it further away from the sun, even just just by a few millimeters, all human beings would freeze to death. Hmm. So you can see that even where the earth is placed relative to the sun, the distance, is just the right distance that human beings can live the way we're living now. So that's, that's a profound. yeah, that's, that's a teleological argument. Okay. Um, then the third and final argument, and this one is more philosophical based in the fact that it's not really you can't really measure it with empirical scientific evidence, but still a valid argument is the moral arguments. And most of you will probably know by morality, we just mean how do we define right and wrong, like what defines our morality. Um, and this probably, you know, this probably touches on what we did last week when we asked when we asked the question, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? That's morality in a nutshell, you know. And people still ask that question. Um, atheists love asking that question, like, how is there so much sin and evil? If this God of yours is so good, like, how do you know there's morality? Um, it makes me think of a quote by C.S. Lewis that he made in, I believe, it was Mere Christianity. And so this is one of my favorite authors, by the way, ever. I love the guy's readings. Um, But he was an atheist when he was very, very young. And he used to call God a cruel and unjust God. That was his his view of God when he was young, when he was an atheist. But then as he got older and he started to reclaim his faith, he looked back at that statement that he made and he realized something. How was he comparing God as cruel and unjust if there was no sense of, if there's no objective sense of morality, you know, you can think of it like this. Let me give a simple example. All of us knows what a crooked line looks like, right? A line that is not straight. We all know what it looks like. But the only reason we know what a crooked line looks like is because we know what a straight line looks like. Does that make sense? Yep. It's the same way like how we know what darkness looks like. I think we touched on this last week as well. We all know what darkness looks like. But the reason why we know what darkness looks like is because we know what light looks like. So the same thing can apply to morality. All of us knows what, like, basically what is wrong, what evil looks like. The only reason why we know what evil looks like is because we know what God and what good looks like, what it means to be good. And the reason why we know what good is because we know that God is good. 
So I, I hope I'm not confusing you. I'm just trying to build like a template. Evil cannot exist unless there is good. That's why we know what evil is and we know what good is. Good cannot exist unless God is there because we know that God is good. God is the objective compass of where our morality comes from. So again, just to summarize three arguments, the cosmological argument, which is the argument about the universe having a beginning, cosmos, the teleological argument, which is fine, um, fine tuning or design, telos, and then the moral argument, which is how God is the objective compass of right and wrong. So I hope brilliant. that makes sense. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. I hope you guys are learning something. Um, man, that's, that's powerful in itself. Um, those three arguments, there's a lot more, actually. If you go right now on the Google search and you say, you know, evidence for the existence of God, there's a lot more. But those were the three powerful ones. And there's a lot more in that. In fact, I did a video 2019. It's somewhere on my YouTube channel. The same question, is there a God? Something like mm -hmm. that. And I kind of walked through some of these arguments too. So it was very refreshing to hear them coming from you again, Ife. Awesome. So... Now that we've talked about the existence of God, let's now make a presupposition. God exists. All right? Let's agree. God exists. Now let's move on. So God exists, but how do we reach this God? Like, how do we really have a relationship with this creator, which Ife told us is, has to be personal, has to have intent and purpose and a relationship with his creation? If we are part of the creation of God, he, then he had a reason for creating us. And so if he claims in scripture that he created us for his pleasure, Revelation chapter 4, then there's purpose to his creation. And that means we should desire to know him and have a relationship with him. But it seems like this God too has said how he wants to be known and how he wants to be seen. Based on the discussion we had yesterday, I'm just going to make some statement so that we can move to the next aspect of this conversation based on the conversation we had last week which was is if there is a god why is there evil in the world or if god is good why is there evil in the world one of the things we, we understood was that the problems we observe in the world today were not part of the initial creation they came as a result of the fall so god created things perfect and then something happened in history that brought about decomposition, decay, and everything going downhill. And so God did something, according to the Christian, Christian faith, to restore all things back to its order. That's like the hope we're looking up to in Romans 8. But now, let's say, let's find out how we can validate those claims. So, I mean, it's easy for us to say, oh, we believe, we believe in God because the Bible says. What of someone who doesn't know what the Bible, who doesn't really, you know, think the Bible is the word of God? Now, we already, like I said, we already have the presupposition as believers. And I don't think that all these arguments many times are necessary when it comes to this issue because it takes faith to believe in God. That's the truth. There are so many things we cannot prove and point to. We can give a reasonable defense, but it's at the end of the day, it is, do you believe it or don't you believe it? But what we're doing here is to give you tools to at least show that we have faith, but it is a reasonable faith. So if we say Jesus rose from the dead, we can prove it. 
with evidence, internal and external. So I'm coming to you, Praise, and you have to help us with this. We want to know if how we can know that the claims of the New Testament are true. So if I grab my Bible, I read the story. Is there anything from the stories in the New Testament that can tell me that, yeah, Jesus has to be legit. He really, really died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. Everything he said was true. Can you help us with that? You're muted. Oh, it's not allowing you to. Is it allowing you to talk now? Yes. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Oh, okay. So historians have tools. They have principles that, you know, help them to know if materials, historical materials or literatures are actually true, right? <clears throat> and um, when it comes to the claims of the New Testament, we have like eight claims that prove or show that, oh, New Testament actually um, actually is true, and we have the um, early sources. One of the the, the claims that we have the early sources. We have what we call the eyewitnesses um, details. We have what we call the embarrassing stories. We have the excruciating deaths. I mean, the deaths that occurred. The, the disciples were martyred. We had we have the extra biblical sources that materials written by non Christians that validate. The writings of the New Testament. We have, we see the explosive growth, church growth, as a result of the faith, as a result of the of, of the whole Christian faith in the church outside of Jerusalem. And so, when we look at the earlier sources, for instance, well, let's go back to the first century. If in the first century we have two two very two very major events that happened that everybody agrees to be true. Everybody, both the archaeologists, the atheists, they all agree that, oh, this is true. One is that Jesus was killed. Jesus was killed and he was, he was crucified. And this happened around 30, 33 AD. And also, another very important event that happened is that the temple in the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, this is the temple that Jesus predicted in Matthew 24 from verse 1 to 3. That mm -hmm. oh this is going to happen. We we saw that they agree that oh this this actually happened and it happened in 70 AD. So now the the, the when the temple actually got destroyed, you know the the, the years it took 40 years for the temple to actually be destroyed after you know Jesus is around after the period Jesus died. And 40 years is like a generation. Mm -hmm. And historic historians believe that it takes at least Two generations for um, two generations after eyewitnesses have passed away for legends. You know, some people say, "Oh, the Bible is actually a legend." How do we? It's not. It's just full of stories. The mm -hmm. legend is not. It's not true. But historical historians believe that it takes two generations after um, eyewitnesses have passed away for what we call legend to actually crowd historical facts. Mm -hmm. So between thirty A.D. To 70 AD, when the temple, you know, was destroyed, we have what we have called the age of the witnesses. Yep. The eyewitnesses account. And the New Testament is written by the eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were disciples of Jesus who were present when Jesus died and saw his death. I mean, yep. they saw him resurrect, they saw him ascend. 
we have the book of Acts written by Luke, who is also mm-hmm. an eyewitness. Right. We also have, I mean, the epistles written by, majority of the epistles are written by Apostle Paul. He's also, right. you know, um, an eyewitness too. Mm-hmm. So he, let me pause John, you. This, first John, um, first Peter, this point you're making... John, is so important. I really want people to get this. So she's she's emphasizing that hey, early sources tell us the fact that these things were written very close to the events. Uh, they are very likely to be true. That's the claim we're making because the sources were not written thousands of years after the event because they could have been corrupted at that time. But if people were still alive, for example, you read First Corinthians fifteen, and Paul was actually writing that there are people who are still alive amongst the 500 people who saw Jesus, you know, resurrected. And he said some are still alive even till this day. So even at the time of Paul, there were still people who had seen Jesus physically. And we have the writings. We have the gospel. So that's what praise is saying. So early sources is a very powerful evidence to why the New Testament is true. All right, go ahead. Give us another point. Okay, so we also have the uh, eyewitnesses details. When we look at the accounts, the eyewitness accounts, especially, you know, let, let me take let me take Luke, Doctor Luke, as the um, as the case study. If you look at his his um, his account, what he wrote, there's so much detail details in it. So so much there are specific details that only someone who was present would have been able to write it. And his details, you know include exact dates, it includes people, like his historical figures, mm-hmm. and, you know, all these people happen to exist around that, uh, during right. that period of time. And it's very easy to call out inconsistencies if Luke was wrong, mm-hmm. right? It's very easy to, to call out inconsistencies, but Luke's, um, the book of Acts, for instance, is confirmed, is confirmed to have 84 historical confirmed um, details. It's called historical confirmed, historically confirmed details. And so, this, this so, so what you're saying, from, you know, outside okay, beautiful. I wanted you to say that. So you're saying that there are 84 situations or particular accounts written in the, yeah. you know, the Acts of the Apostles that can be verified by other external sources at that time. Yes. Powerful. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. And even the, the, New, the New Testament documents, the, the New Testament documents cite, you know, more than 30 persons that, you know, um, the secular sources and archaeologists have proven to actually, you know, exist, right? All of this, there are so much, there's so much detail in, like, good um, in depth. There's so much detail in that proves and has been confirmed by, you know, secular sources. And then we also have the they, they believe in a particular principle called the principle of embarrassment. Hmm. So they believe that if an author is writing, he ought to write something embarrassing about himself in order for him to say, first, for them to discover that this thing is true, for them to say, like, actually, it's probably true. And when we look at scriptures, like, sorry, you look at the New Testament, for instance, there are a lot of embarrassing stories, embarrassing stories about Jesus, mm-hmm. about the disciples who ran away, and the, the ones that rejected Jesus, the ones that, you know, did not even understand. I mean, the disciples never really truly understand what, they never truly understood what Jesus was saying until he had, you know, gone, until he, right. he had ascended. You know, there were that, so, that's there were huge so many, to admit. <laughs> yes. That we're so, clueless. So many, so you, <laughs> that we're clueless. 
Ah, so it, 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 if, if it was a lie, they wouldn't be writing embarrassing stories about I mean, I mean, we will always hype ourselves. We will not come mm-hmm. and be writing embarrassing stories about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we will not come and write embarrassing stories about a, a person who claims to be God. Right? But, I mean, they, they put everything out there. And then we also have the excruciating death. Wait, we have so people just, like... I, I, give me one second. I, I, I'm hammering on this because I know people are taking notes and they are, you know, trying to get to understand the point. So this point you are making is really profound. Anytime you write a story and you have the opportunity to paint yourself in a better light and you don't, it is very likely it is true. That's what Praise is saying. So if they are writing about the genealogy of Jesus and they are okay to put two prostitutes in his lineage, knowing that they are talking about the Messiah and they go ahead and write Rahab and Tamar and they say these people are in the lineage of the Christ, that's a huge thing. And then the fact that Peter denied Jesus and he allowed Matthew to write it. <laughs> you know, think about that. So I think it just tells you a lot about the authenticity of the documents. Thank you. So move to the next one. You said excruciating deaths. Talk about that. Yes. yes. Okay, so um, I want to use two people. Um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, and Paul as an example. I mean, all the all the disciples were martyred for the sake of the, the faith, the Christian faith. But James was someone who never believed in Jesus' ministry while he was like while he while he was while, while he was alive. Right? So what happened? What changed? What made James, who never believed in this in this person, become a believer of this person? He became a pastor of a church in Jerusalem. And he now he was even martyred for the same for this same person that he never believed in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that we should actually think about and be like, it doesn't just make sense. What of Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul was at the forefront, you know, persecuting the church, involved in the killings of Christians. But we see that this person who was actively dedicated and committed in the killing of Christians, all of a sudden was converted and became you know, um, a Christian, and he was ready to be killed for the sake of what he was preaching. Yeah. That, that that goes along with to say something. And then the Jews and the, the disciples were Jews. They did not have any motive to actually lie. They did not have any motive to want to die for a cause that is a lie. I mean, it's easy for some people to die for something that for a lie that is that they think is true, but it's a different ball game when you are dying for. A lie that you made up. I mean, mm. I made up a lie that I can be popular and I can, you know, make make a, make a name for myself. But then it looks like, oh my, they're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. I rather just, you know, say, I am, or I just, I just get missing. I just, mm. I just cease to exist than to continue, right, mm-hmm. and and kill myself in the process. No one would die for something that they believe. Is not true. Right. No one would that, What you just true. said is so. And then we also have, you know. Um... No, I'll let you go ahead. I'll just make the points later. Oh, okay. We also have like elaborate testimonies, right? There are lots of testimonies and scriptures that shows that oh, this thing happened. Lots of testimonies. I mean, there are witnesses. Not one, not two, not three. There are many witnesses. The, 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 there were there were a lot of people who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, so it's not something that you, you say, oh, it was just made up. There were mm-hmm. witnesses historically. There were witnesses, and you know, expected 
expected predictions is the next, you know, the next point. The things that we saw, you know, happen or we read to have happened in the New Testament were actually predicted, you know, in the Old Testament. Take for instance, Prophet Micah actually, you know, prophesied about, you know, the birth of of Jesus in yeah. Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. Prophet Hosea yeah. also prophesied that, oh, this Jesus is going to be with his parents. Prophet Isaiah prophesied, you know, that Jesus is going to be crucified. Right. Um, he's going to be flogged and all of that. Even David, you know, mm -hmm. there are a lot of prophecies, but even David, Prophet David, also prophesied that he's going to be betrayed by his friends. Let me let me pause you there because I I want to this is a huge point. See the fact that you have a book called the Bible, which is a collection of sixty six books written at different times in human history, but they all have a way of synchronizing to sell, to tell you about one person and one message. It's very outstanding. And what she's saying about expected predictions is that. Many things were said in the Old Testament that will happen. For example, she just made a, a reference to Isaiah. Isaiah 53, go home and read this when you have the chance. The whole of chapter 53, the whole of chapter 54. It is a almost an accurate description of the passion of the Christ, of the suffering of Jesus. Exactly like the fact that he would, he would not open his mouth like a sheep to the slaughter. And then the this the, the result of that work in Isaiah 60, you know, where the glory is seen, that's just a powerful one. Or think about Psalm 22, where it talks about piercing, they pierced my hands and my feet. David was saying that he wasn't pierced, but he spoke about the thirst of Jesus, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the fact that he will be, there was even a prophecy about Jesus being sold for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah. There's just so many prophecies that when you bring them together, you can literally print out the gospel account from the Old Testament. And that should blow your mind because there's no way these guys could have telepathy to communicate. It had to be by the Spirit of God. That's powerful. And then the fact that all these people, you know, having different accounts, different, you know, versions are still saying the same thing. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John even though they have different perspectives or different approaches to writing the Gospels, the core message is still the same. In fact, that is a powerful testimony to the authenticity. If you bring five people to give, to say, your witnesses, right, tell us the story. If all the five people say the exact same thing, you know that they've rehearsed it. But that's, you don't see that with the synoptic Gospels. Mark comes from one angle. James, uh, John comes from another angle. Matthew says something else. But still the same message. That's how you know it is authentic. That's powerful. I just wanted to use that opportunity to share those thoughts. So is there any other um, point in the ease? Oh, um, oh, that's the last one. In the ease, we have the exclusive growth. Like if you look at the exclusive growth of the church beyond Jerusalem. Like I mean the Rome, the Roman, a lot of people beyond outside the Jews, they got saved and there was church growth. It just shows how that, okay, what? You're muted again. Praise, praise, you're muted. Can you hear it? Oh, sorry. We, we can hear you now. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, yes, the the the, the, the um explosive growth is, is more like a sign, a sign and, and a miracle. I mean, that, it's more like a sign that shows, oh, 
this thing is actually true. Hmm. It's actually true. If it wasn't true, this would not have happened. And we also exist. So we haven't proved that, oh, whatever happened in the New Testament, whatever was written in the New Testament is actually true. It's actually true. Man, that's powerful. You know, something happened in the book of Acts. For those of you who f- actually follow us on, ev- on everything we do in BMG, we have something we do every Friday. It's a Bible study. We go chapter by chapter in the Bible. And we, we read in Acts, uh, I think maybe chapters 18 or 19 there about, or earlier, where they wanted to really get rid of these people preaching the gospel. And then one of the uh, leaders in their group said, hey, hold on. Like, there have been people who have started movements like this in the past. There was Thudas who had like a thousand followers and then it did not go anywhere. Then there was another one who rose, Judas, who had a lot of people following him and then it didn't go anywhere. So he said, well, if you stop this, this, these people... You, are make, you don't have any point. If it's not God, it will fall like the other two. And so what praise is saying is that the fact that Christianity till today, more than 2,100 years after, almost, we still believe in the Jesus of the Bible. That is profound. And it's not stopping. It's growing. In fact, you might look in your country and you think, oh, man, the gospel is suffering. Oh, no, you are looking with the wrong lens. Look at some parts of the world. Middle East, I, I, got, I get some reports every, every um, month. And the growth in the Middle East is radical. God is moving. People are coming to Christ. Man, it's powerful. So with all these things, and I think you probably have to give us that list again so people can write it down. It's a beautiful um, alliteration of all the E's. So these are the things that you can use to prove the authenticity of the New Testament. And by extension, the authenticity of the resurrection. So give us that list again. Okay, so we have one. The first E is the early, the earlier um, sources. Sources. The mm-hmm. second E. The second E is eyewitnesses details. Mm-hmm. The third E is the embarrassing stories. Mm-hmm. The fourth E is the excruciating um, deaths. Mm-hmm. The fifth E. The fifth E is the um, elaborate testimonies in in scriptures, and then we have the um, sixth. That was that the fifth or the sixth? The sixth. We, now. we have the next E is okay. The extra biblical um, sources. sources like Josephus. The, we didn't even talk um, about that. Extra, did we talk about that? Yeah. Yes. I. Okay, you did. No, yes. I, 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 I didn't talk about Okay, but yeah, yeah. Josephus, so, um, for example, the, was a historian. Let me just tell them because of people who are taking notes. There was a historian named Josephus who was not a Christian but lived at the time of Jesus, around the time of Jesus, and actually wrote that there was a man who was performing miracles and was claimed to have, you know, risen from the dead. And he was not a believer. He just said they claimed it, you know. So... That's that's still a good point for us, and there are many other external sources, like you said. Okay. Yes, and and the, we have the elaborate testimonies. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys have got. Yeah, you that. said that one. And the extra, okay, the extra biblical sources, and then the last um, one is the explosive church explosive growth outside, growth. you know, Jerusalem, outside of them. Beautiful. Yes. Man, I'm I'm full. I'm loaded. I'm I, I'm no longer feeling hungry. I've eaten a lot from you guys. Um, I think one good way, and, and the truth is, this kind of sessions, we don't have enough time to delve into stuff, but I think we've given you the necessary tools you need. 
you know, to at least get started in being able to defend the authenticity of your faith from not just from a place of faith, like, well, I just believe it. I don't care what anybody thinks. No, but the fact that you can sit someone down and say, hey, it's not a blind faith, though. It is a very reasonable faith based on evidence. You know, there are amazing books that have been written out there. In fact, some of the things we got from what our conversation today are from powerful resources like I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank, Frank Turek. Um, there's a beautiful book called The Case for Christ. The, the Case. There's another one about The Case for Faith. Still written by the same guy, Lee Strobel. He was an investigative journalist that came to faith because of the evidence, not because he grew up in a Christian family. He was investigating Christianity and he said, wow, the evidence here can be presented in a modern day court. That's profound. So I want you guys to know that um, even beyond the conversation we've had, it's so important that you are established in the fact that, hey, you know, beyond these facts and figures we've thrown at you, Jesus is real. He died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you will also rise from the dead. And if you don't die before he comes, the Bible says you will be changed. And that's our testimony. That's our hope. That's what we look forward to. So be glad that you're a believer. Be glad that you're a Christian. Be glad that Jesus loved you even while you were yet a sinner. All right. That's the crux of Easter. That's what Easter is all about. That's all this is all about. All right. So I just want to open the floor, not for conversations because we're already out of time, but I'm opening the floor for a continued conversation throughout this week. I want you to meditate on the things we've discussed as well as why you believe Christianity is true. Why is Christianity true to you? I know we have personal things, um, you know, that we can say. For example, I can add personal testimony, even though that's not going to be a high-ranking one. But like just the fact that I have seen transformation in my life is a powerful testimony. And that's some that's the case for many of you. You were one way and now you're a different way. All right. So um if I just one sentence from you, one sentence from Chelsea, one sentence from praise, and then we shut down because we're already out of time. All right. Yeah, I just want to say one last thing. Um, all the evidence you've given is very, very important because you want to be able to prove even with logical evidence. Obviously, you mentioned 1 Peter 3, 15, 16. Um, but I just want to leave you with this. I think it was Ravi Zacharias that made the statement. Evidence can clear doubts in the mind of a skeptic, but only the Holy Spirit can convict the heart of that skeptic Amen. Amen. to accept the truth. So what I'll say is this, if you're evangelizing to an atheist or a non-believer, present them all the evidence we've discussed, do your research, but then ask them this question so that they can think about it. I've given you all this evidence. With this evidence I've given you that proves Jesus is God and is the Messiah, would you be willing to accept him into your life based on this evidence or not? Hmm. So that's all I want to say. Okay. Uh, Chelsea, one word, one statement. To all those listening to you. Oh, sorry. What did what did you say? Yeah, to everyone listening. What do you, one more one statement? Yeah. Okay, yes, I just want to leave you all with this one scripture, um, John, chapter sixteen, verse thirteen. It reads, "When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. And he will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare 
to you the things that are to come. So yeah, I just wanted to leave you all with this. Hmm. Thank you. It's awesome. Praise, one last word. Okay, um, the resurrection is true that our hope is not is not on something that does not exist, right? The mm-hmm. fact that Jesus resurrected is proof that we are not live, we are not following a blind faith, and yeah. we have a hope, but we have a hope, uh, and we are going, you know, to to be joined, you know, after after here after this world, we're going to be joined. You know, with Christ and everything, and this is something that you know we should always keep in mind. We should always have in mind that the the, the entirety of our existence is about Christ, it's about God, is for God, is for Christ, and the fact that He died and He was buried and He resurrected, mm. you know, is something that I should always rejoice about. It's something that I should always be thankful for and yeah. do well, you know, to let others know about. But right. this truth, right. this truth, is not meant. To Amen. Don't keep the truth to yourself. Share it every day. Find someone to hear this gospel. I want you guys to unmute yourselves right now and just appreciate our panelists. This was a stellar presentation. Thank you, Ife. Thank you, Praise. Thank you, Chelsea. You guys should just give them some accolades. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you, Ife. Chelsea. Hey there, so we've come to the end of this teaching session and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment. We have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma to interpreting the Bible world and so many others. If you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on MixLR or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash bmg live four that's the number four or you can look in the description and you will find the link to the website there we hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith